Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Uh, more than any other time where I've come and spoken here in Manchester, I feel like a fraud um, for the simple reason that Tim has asked me to speak today on the subject of generosity. And it's not that I am not a generous person, at least I hope I am and I aspire to be. But the reason I feel like a bit of a fraud is that I have learned so much from you about the subject of generosity, probably far more than I am able to give and impart to you today. A few months ago, uh, Tim Simmons came and spoke at our church in Oxford uh, for a conference that uh, drew together church leaders from about 20 different churches, uh, talking about church planting and things like that. And he shared about CCM's core cultures um, and things like generosity and a a second chance culture and these sorts of things. If you're not familiar with these, uh, buy Colin Barron's book, Multiplanting, available from all good bookshops and the back of Tim's car. But um, it was just wonderful hearing him talk about these cultures. But what was fascinating was the number of church leaders who came up to me afterwards and said, well, you know CCM, what are they really like? (laughs) Which I thought was really interesting. They'd only met Tim for like a couple of hours and already assumed he was a liar. But but they were like, okay, does CCM really embody these cultures? And of course, my answer was yes. Uh, And when I think about you as a church, I think one of the cultures that most clearly resonates in my mind when I think about you is a culture of generosity. You are such a generous church. And I've had the privilege of watching on from outside and seeing the numbers of your give big totals just going up and up and up and seeing how you have generously given to so many things in Manchester, overseas, to those in need right around the world with the COVID uh, catalyst emergency fund. Like it was just shocking and like stunning and inspiring watching on as you express so much generosity. So really, I feel like I probably don't have as much to impart to you as you do to me. Uh, It's somewhat like teaching a granny to suck eggs, which is the weirdest phrase in the English language, but I also like it. No idea what it means, but you know. Uh, But still, we are going to talk today about the subject of generosity. And my talk's title is The Joy of Generosity. And I want to look at three verses from a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a young leader in a church uh, in a city called Ephesus. And these verses come at the end of his letter, uh, where he's just written about the dangers of loving money and the importance of contentment. And to be clear, actually, Paul is not negative about money uh, in total. He has lots to say about it. He's aware of some of the dangers, but actually he's got some positive things to say as well. And he ends this letter with a few verses of positive encouragement. And he says this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's loads going on there, uh, but I just want to home in on that phrase, the life that is truly life. I think Paul is saying something quite radical here, which is that there is a quality of life that is available that we actually only get to enter into through the doorway of generosity. Now, let me sort of clarify that and qualify that. Bless you. Uh, What I am not saying is, and what I don't think Paul is saying, is that we get to inherit eternal life through our giving. 
He is talking here when he talks about the life that is truly life. He is talking about eternal life, the life that we will receive when Jesus returns, when he makes this world new, when he resurrects our bodies and we spend eternity with him and we become like him. What Jesus himself called life to the full. And Paul is not saying, well, the way to get that is you buy it with your money. That is absolutely not the case. Eternal life is a gift given to us freely by Jesus through his death and his resurrection. But I think Paul is saying something radical, which is that we can, by cultivating generosity now, we can get a foretaste of what eternal life will be like in the here and the now. And it's that idea that I want to explore a little bit today. And I've called this talk the joy of generosity, which maybe to some of us feels like a bit of a contradiction. But actually, I think Paul and the whole Bible says that giving generously should be and can be a joyous thing. And I want to suggest just three simple mindset shifts that we all need to go on. I certainly need to go on if we are to see giving generously at things like Give Big to be a joy rather than a burden. You ready to go on those mindset shifts with me? Good. I'm aware whenever you talk about money, there's a bit of a sort of hush in the room. Uh, maybe I should talk about something more joyous, but like it is going to be a joyous thing. Actually, as we heard earlier, here's where the joy is found, right? <laughs> um, God would not command us to do something that is not good for us. So three mindset shifts that we had to go through. The first is this, a shift from having to giving. Contrary to what many people think, the Bible is not negative about money or riches. In verse 17 to 18, three times Paul repeats the word rich in largely positive ways, actually. He says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. That means those who have money. It's just a neutral term here. Those who are rich in this world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, Paul repeatedly uses this word rich because I think he wants to make sure that his readers have the correct definition of how we understand true richness. Being truly rich, according to Paul, is not about how much you have. It's about what you do with however much, however great or however small the amount you have. True richness is not actually to do with having, it's to do with giving. In God's standards, true richness is measured by good deeds and generosity, he says in this passage. And the reason why is because true richness of giving is modelled on the way that God so graciously, richly gives to us. Biblically speaking, we are most rich not when we possess lots of money, but when we follow God's model of giving generously. When we live like God, we enter into an experience of his life, that life that is truly life. And so we get a taste of the life that we will enjoy for all eternity. So true richness, according to Paul, according to the Bible, is not actually about what we have. It's about what we do with what we have. It's not about having. It's actually about giving. Do you see what I mean? You can nod, you can shake your head, even if the answer is no, you can say yes. Wonderful. Um, it, it's quite a mindset shift because that's not how we tend to think of richness. But Paul is saying something quite important and radical here. It is possible, according to Paul, to have loads of money and not be rich, according to God. 
if we take all the things that God richly gives us and we hoard them for ourselves rather than using them generously. We might look rich to those around us, but really not be rich in heart, rich in spirit. True richness is not about having, it's about giving. The flip side is also true. We may have next to nothing. We may have very, very little at all. But if we are generous with the little that we have, we may be richer than anyone who will be considered rich by the worldly standards. That is deeply encouraging. True richness, according to God, according to Paul, is not measured by having, but by giving. In verse 17, it says this, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, which sounds good, right? (laughs) But I would assume that if God had given me things for my enjoyment, the way I would enjoy them would be using them for myself. Actually, the opposite is true. God knows that we will get the most enjoyment out of the things we have been given when we use them for the blessing of others. And there is plenty of research that actually shows this to be true. I won't bore you with too much science, but uh, in particular, if you want to look more into this, the Templeton Foundation and the University of Notre Dame has done uh, this report called the Science of Generosity Project. And they argue that there is growing scientific evidence that the human brain is wired to take pleasure out of generosity. Here are just a few highlights from the studies. They showed that acting generously stimulates the neural circuits involved in reward. So the same circuits in our minds that are activated when we eat good food or we have sex, which explains why giving feels good. Generosity, according to scientists, increases our sense of happiness. And studies show this to be the case at every age range. One study found that toddlers younger than two exhibited more happiness when giving treats to a puppet than when receiving treats themselves. And they were even happier when they gave treats from their own bowl rather than giving the puppet someone else's treat. Now, parents with toddlers, I'm not sure whether you agree with that. I'd question that, but that's what the science seems to show. That happiness comes out of exhibiting generosity. A study at the University of Zurich broke participants into two groups. And each week for a month, each of these groups, each of these people was given 25 Swiss francs, about the equivalent of 20 pounds. The first group had to spend the money on themselves. And the second group were told that the money they were given, they had to spend on others. Which group do you think exhibited the greatest signs of happiness? The second group. Yeah, when they scanned their brains, it revealed higher levels of happiness and satisfaction in those who were cultivating generosity. During the experiment, everyone was also given the opportunity to to take a deal where they would either receive something for themselves or they could give it to someone else. Which group do you think was most likely to bless someone else? It was the ones who had already been cultivating generosity and they still exhibited higher levels of happiness when doing so. See, generosity increases our sense of well-being and happiness. We are wired to be generous people and to take delight in it. And similar results have been observed right around the world. Survey data from 136 countries across a range of ages, relationship statuses and income brackets have showed that people who have given to charity in the last year have reported far greater levels of happiness than those that haven't. In fact, one study said that the happiness derived from donating to charity is on par with the level of the happiness associated with doubling one's household income. And it's not just about happiness. Studies show that generosity lowers our stress levels. It improves um, the strength and the length of our marriage and relationships. And studies of people over the age of 65 say that giving generously of your time and your money to serve others increases your sense of well-being and contributes to delayed mortality. 
Jesus wasn't wrong when he said it is better to give than to receive. Now, to be clear, I am not saying, well, we should all give because science said it will make you feel better. (laughs) That's not my point at all. But I do find it fascinating that science seems to corroborate something that the Bible says, which is this. We are wired for generosity. God has created us to be those who take delight in blessing others. That is the life that is truly life. And when we learn to cultivate generosity, not just through our giving, actually, Paul says here about our our good deeds as well. When we learn to cultivate generosity in all its forms, we get to taste something of the life for which we were created and which we will get to enjoy for all eternity. You with me? So the first mindset shift is this. True richness is not about having, it's about giving. The second shift is this. It's a shift from got to to get to. See, often we can think about giving as a discipline or a duty, something we have to do. And in one sense, that's kind of not wrong. One of the reasons that I give to charity and I give to the church is because I believe the Bible tells me to do it and I want to follow that. There is a sense in which it is a duty. But if we only think of generosity as something we've got to do, we miss out on a really important truth, that it's actually something we get to do. It's a privilege. You know, the Bible says that God doesn't need our money. (laughs) Do you know that? You know, Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's not lacking anything at all. Psalm 50 says, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I don't know how many cattle that is. I have no cattle, but I imagine there's quite a lot of cattle, particularly in those days. God is rich. God has everything he needs. Acts 17 says, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God is not in need of our money. He created the trees with a word. He can make bank notes like that. (laughs) You know, the Bitcoin on a thousand laptops are his. Like He is not in trouble. God is not looking down today thinking, I really hope at Give Big they give enough money next week. Otherwise, all my plans are ruined. (laughs) I don't think God is looking down thinking, Liam, better preach a good sermon. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Like He is not worried because God has everything. It's not that we've got to give in order for God to bless the nations. It's that we get to. It's a privilege. It's a joy that he invites us into. Um, Can I show the next slide? This is a picture of um, my daughter. In fact, three pictures of my daughter um, at various stages, uh, two, five, and six. Um, And she is upstairs today. And uh, she wasn't too happy that I was showing you these pictures, but I did finally get permission from her. Um, But here she is. And uh, one of the things that I love to do with my daughter is um, I love to cook with her, not cook with her like an ingredient. I mean, cook with her like a, that would be really weird, Uh, but like a a, a sous chef, I suppose. We work together and we cook. And this is her when she was two. And I used to look after her every Monday and we would make sourdough bread together. And Tim hates it when I talk about sourdough, but he's not here. So (laughs) Um, uh, so this is just a thinly veiled way to talk about how much I love baking bread and that I've got a cute daughter. But there we go. Uh, So we used to make bread together every Tuesday. And that's progressed as we've kind of gone through her ages. The other week, she cooked a roast dinner. She stuffed a chicken and she was a bit grossed out by that. But uh, but generally, she loves to cook. And I love to cook with her. It's a real joy and a privilege. But let me be honest, and she's upstairs and don't tell her this, but she's not the best cook. (laughs) I mean, she's seven. She's She's a bit slow and uh, her kneading technique leaves a little to be desired and she tends to make a bit of a mess. And so if my goal were efficiency, I'd cut her out of the equation. 
really, if I wanted to make less mess and get it done quicker and probably better, I wouldn't cook with her at all. But my goal is not efficiency. As my father, as her father, my goal is to enjoy time with her, to see the joy on her face as she gets to try something new, as she gets to spend time doing something with me. And I love that look on her face where she creates something and she runs to her mum and she goes, look what I did, knowing full well that Helen's looking at her thinking, "Mm, you did very little of that. But it's the joy of being involved that brings her alive. That's why I do it. My goal is not efficiency, it's relationship. It's partnership. And I think the same is true of God. If God's driving factor in all that he does was efficiency, he would get on and do everything without us. Hard truth for you. We slow God down. (laughs) We make a mess. If we weren't here, he would get things done way easier. But his goal is not efficiency, it's partnership. It's relationship. He loves to partner with you. He loves it when you spend time with him, when you trust him. He loves it when you partner with him and delight and go, look what we achieved, even though he's looking down going, yeah, you gave very little into that ultimately. He loves the smile on our face when we come and we trust him and we give and we partner with him in blessing the world. It's not that we've got to give, it's that we get to. God has made space for us to take part in his plan for blessing this world. And actually, that's been the case from the very beginning of the Bible. don't know if you've noticed this. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where it talks about creation, God makes this world that is glorious, it's good, but it's actually incomplete. There's loads about it that hasn't yet started to flourish. Why? Because there was no human there to tend the ground. God could have made a world that was perfect, that never needed any gardening, never needed any work, but he seemed to create it in such a way that required us to come into it and cultivate it. Why? Because I think God wasn't just interested in creating a machine. He wanted to create a world where we could enjoy partnering with him and bringing out the good in it. From page one of the Bible, we see that God has created a world where he longs to partner with us in blessing it. So actually, when it comes to giving financially for blessing the world, it's not that we've got to and God is disappointed if we don't, but rather we get to. And God loves it when we partner with him. We were designed to reflect God's nature. So when we are generous, we experience the life that is truly life because we live the way he created us to as image bearers of God. There's a story from the third century BC uh, about King Alexander the Great, who was journeying home once after a battle. And uh, the chariot came across a beggar by the roadside who was asking for a copper coin. And one of the courtiers tried to give him, uh, tried to send him away, actually. But then Alexander stopped the carriage, went to the beggar and gave him a bag of gold coins. And the courtier was surprised and said to Alexander, sir, a copper coin would have been adequate to meet the beggar's needs and desire. Why give him gold? And Alexander replied this, a copper coin would suit, suit his needs, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Just think about that for a moment. Now, I don't know why Alexander said that and whether he was motivated by good reasons or pride or or whatever, but it does make me think. When we give generously, it doesn't only say something about the worth and value of the people we are giving to. It does say something about them. But it also, I think, says something about what we believe about ourselves. Alexander gave as was appropriate for one who bears the title of a king. 
How much more appropriate is it for us to give generously as those who bear the title image bearer of the King of Kings? When we give generously out of the riches that God has given us, however much or however little, when we give it with a heart of trust and love and partnership and wanting to to, to give our things over to God so that he can use them for glory, we live the life that is truly life and we unlock joy because we understand that true riches come not from having but giving by aligning ourselves with the example of God. And we realise that it's not something we've got to give out of duty, but we get to give. It's a privilege. The third and final mindset shift is this. It's a shift from here to there. We need to shift our perspective over where we are investing our finance when we give generously. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. He tells people to give generously because he says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. I don't know what you think of when you hear that kind of phrase. It's a very Christian phrase, isn't it? Lay up treasures in heaven. (laughs) And it sounds great, but kind of very abstract. What does it mean? Well, I think Paul is drawing a contrast between this present world and the world to come. And he warns us that wealth in this world is uncertain. And we know that, right? (laughs) If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that wealth in this world is uncertain. But wealth in God's future world is certain. And so Paul says we shouldn't put our trust in our wealth here, but invest there in the future age. Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Both Paul and Jesus are telling something quite profound, which is that we can use our finances now, not in a way that invests in this world, but invests in the world to come. And we can change our perspective to give, not in the light of what would make sense now, but what would make sense in the light of eternity. Now, if you're anything like me, that idea is the kind of thing that you hear a lot particularly if you've been around churches for a long time, lay up your treasures in heaven. But it sounds just annoyingly abstract. What does that actually mean? What do treasures in heaven actually mean? Well, let me just try and unpack a couple of verses from Acts chapter 10, which have helped me to understand this. And it's still quite abstract, but it will perhaps give you a a kind of visual idea to hold in your minds as you consider what you might give over the next two weeks. And it's this. In Acts 10, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to people and prayed continually to God. Let's stop there for a moment. This guy called Cornelius uh, is not a Jew. He is not a Christian. He has some kind of belief in God. He might have attended synagogue. He certainly prays. And we're told that he gives generously. He is a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort, which was a group of about 600 soldiers where they had six centurions over them. So he's a powerful man commanding a hundred different soldiers. And he was in a position of power and authority, and he would have been well paid. Actually, historians tell us that centurions at this time were paid five times more than each of the soldiers he commanded. But he gave generously of his money. We're told that he gave alms, not, you know, (laughs) alms, uh, but money to those in need. 
And the passage continues. About the ninth hour of the day, he, that is Cornelius, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, your prayers and arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Stop and think about that for a moment. Prayers ascend to God. Like we know that's how prayer works, right? We pray a prayer, goes up, God hears it. But he also says that his giving ascends to God. Like what is going on there? I mean, he clearly doesn't mean it literally, like you put the money in the bucket and it's like, (laughs) but there's something about his giving which ascends to God in the same way that his prayers do, which is quite an odd thing to say. And what does he say happens to these prayers? He says, your prayers and your giving, your arms, have ascended as a memorial before God. What's a memorial? It's like a physical object, a statue or a stone or something, which is there as a permanent reminder of an event or something that happened or a particular person. So putting this together, the angel tells Cornelius this weird message, which is that essentially everything he has ever given, accompanied with his prayers, has ascended to heaven and become like this statue that reminds God of his generosity. Quite an odd visual image, isn't it? But I think that's a powerful picture. And it's similar to something that Jesus himself says in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, where this woman comes with this jar of expensive perfume and she breaks it out as an act of devotion, which could be easily forgotten only an hour later when that perfume dissipated. But he says, actually, what you have done was beautiful and it will last as a memorial. It will go on in memory of you. It's the very same Greek word. Put this together. When we give generously, entrusting God with the things that he has given us, and we give into things like Give Big or regularly or or through our good deeds, it rises to heaven and it becomes like a statue, like a memorial, reminding God of the sacrifice you have made. I think that's what the angel is telling Cornelius here. Every pound we give in an offering bucket, every hour we give serving someone, even if no one else ever sees it, it ascends to God and it stands before him in a way that means God will not forget. God will not forget any sacrifice you have made. God will not forget any hour you have given serving him. Whether anyone else knows it or not, he knows it, he remembers it. And it's like there is a statue in heaven that bears your name and God looks at it and he says, I remember it all. I remember what it cost you. And in a weird kind of way, that picture really helps me when I think about giving. Because when I come to a gift day, it can be so easy to have a whole load of questions or doubts or excuses or thoughts that run through my mind. Like, well, I have very little to give compared to some others. So does my contribution really matter? Like, would anyone... Would it make a difference if I put anything in the bucket? Others can give way more than me. It does matter. Because God sees. And when we trust him and when we give, it ascends to God. And that one day, I think I am going to get stand before God and I'm going to see my memorial. I don't know how big it will be or what it will look like. I kind of hope it's a statue of me. (laughs) Bearded. um, Maybe slightly thinner. (laughs) Me in a a previous year. But one day, I am going to get to see the effects of my giving here on earth because of the investment that I have made in heaven. 
Paul and Jesus say that we lay up treasure for ourselves. That is that we are actually going to benefit from it in eternity. I think that in some sense, when we get to heaven, we will get to see with greater clarity than we could ever have on earth what God has done with the sacrifices we have made. And I think each of us will be surprised when, from the perspective of heaven, God joins the dots and shows us, you know that moment where you gave and you thought it wouldn't make the slightest bit of difference? Here's what I did with it. You know that moment where you served and you thought, well, no one's going to see. Will it make a difference? I saw it. I know. And here's what I did with it. I think that there will be abundant joy in heaven where we stand before God and he joins the dots and helps us to see the treasure that has come through our trusting him here on earth. You and I have no idea. You, we have no idea what God will do with our time, with our efforts, with our giving. But in heaven, I think we will know. I remember years ago uh, being at this church in Peterborough, uh, there's a picture or two of it uh, on the screen. Uh, it's this amazing, just vast building. Um, and I remember hearing the pastor talk about the struggles that they went through in raising money to get this place built. And he told this story, which was that when they started to construct the building, everyone who had given into the offering had a chance to write their name on a bit of paper and come and put it in the foundations and pray over the foundations of this building. It was a way of symbolizing that this structure was built on the generosity of each of those individuals. And that idea has really sort of stuck with me over the years. And I think about it every time I come to give at a gift day. Because I have no idea how many hundreds of thousands of people have been in this building. Actually, the next picture just shows you what it's like inside, absolutely packed with worshippers. Many, many people have come to faith in this building. No idea how many. Many people will have been healed or had their lives completely changed in this building. And those people who have walked into this building will have no idea of every name that is underneath their feet in the foundations. In fact, many of them will have no idea there even are any names in the foundations. But each one of those names is known to God. Their giving is like treasure in heaven, a memorial before him. And I think one day in eternity, God will join the dots and help us to see what he has done with our giving, and we will enter into his joy. That is the life that is truly life, being with God for eternity and seeing the wonders of what he has done. And Paul says we can get a taste of that joy now. So when I come to give, at gift days like you're going to have over the next couple of weeks, I often picture that memorial, and I imagine myself almost putting my name into the foundations of whatever it is we are giving to build. And it fills me with joy that makes the sacrifice feel worthwhile. So how do we apply this today? In one sense, it's not actually just about applying it in a one-off way. Um, I want to encourage you to cultivate a culture of generosity that goes beyond what you give next week. In one sense, I don't mind what you give next week, <laughs> as long as you cultivate hearts of generous giving, both through the things that we give and the way that we serve as well. And like I said at the top, I know that this is a culture that you already hold as a church. And so I encourage you just to keep going in that. But there is perhaps an obvious application, which is to what you're going to do over the next couple of weeks. Over the next two weeks, as we have already heard, you have an opportunity to give into these big give Sundays. Give big Sundays. I forget which way the words go. <laughs> it's those words in some kind of order. It's probably on the screen. Give big Sundays. 
May 14th and the 21st, you're going to have an opportunity to give into some key areas, as we've already heard, funding interns here at CCM, serving churches across Manchester, uh, church planting across the north of England, and actually furthering uh, the work of broadcast as well, which, which has reaches right across the world, even to unreached nations. And together, those initiatives have the potential to bless an enormous number of people to release church planting, taking the gospel to places and more importantly to people who desperately need to hear it. And so over the next couple of weeks, you're going to have the opportunity to give into that. And my encouragement is over this week, why don't you visit the website, read more about it, and then prayerfully consider, God, what do you want me to give into that? And it may well be that as you think over these weeks, or even right now, you've already made a decision, look, I'm not going to give anything. And if that's the case, that's fine. Like That's between you and God. God doesn't need you to give. He's not worried if you don't. But actually giving is an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to trust him and to experience his joy. And so my encouragement is that even if what you can give is the tiniest, tiniest amount, it's worth giving because it's a way of entering into the life that God has desired to give us. And it's an opportunity to be part of God's plan to bless this city and this nation. You may think, well, the amount that I can give is so tiny, it's really not worth it. Again, that's not the point. Because God sees our hearts. He knows what is in our hearts. And he delights with a heart that says, God, I am willing to trust you. And he can do amazing things with even the most tiniest offering. Or it may be that you're thinking, look, I'm only here temporarily. I'm here for a month or a year or whatever. Manchester doesn't feel like home. I know I'll be moving on somewhere else. Why would I invest in something I'm not going to see the fruit of? I get that feeling. I felt that as well. But the point is, we're not investing in here. We're investing in eternity. Helen and I have been part of a number of churches over the years where we have got to give in to things that we've not seen the fruit of. And actually, I love the fact that if we went back to various churches across the country, we would walk into a place where our names were written in the foundations, as it were. Not of actual buildings necessarily, but of ministries that are affecting people's lives. And people might not have a clue who we were, but we'll be able to say, I contributed to that by giving out of what God had richly given me. Who knows, one day you may get to eternity and come across your memorial stone and think, oh yeah, I was part of that weird little church in Manchester for a while. <laughs> and yeah, I did give in to that offering. Oh, yeah. It's amazing, God, what you were able to do with that tiny little, tiny little trust of faith that I gave you, that tiny little offering. God can do far more than we could ever possibly think or imagine. So over these next couple of weeks, would you think, would you pray, and follow whatever God leads you in. Follow whatever he puts on your heart. 